It's just a marvelous, marvelous, marvelous uh, Americana, bit of Americana. I have a dream. This nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. But these protests, these protests are not the way to get through it. With all due respect, that's a bunch of malarkey. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Democracy simply doesn't work. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. It's the Ricochet Podcast with Rob Long and Peter Robinson. I'm James Lalex, and today we talk to Minnesota gubernatorial candidate Kendall Qualls and Ezra Levant in Canada. He'll tell us what's going on, so let's have ourselves a podcast. I can hear you! Welcome, everybody. It's the Ricochet Podcast, number 580. Join us, won't you, at ricochet.com. Be part of the most stimulating conversation and community as well on the web. I'm James Lalex in Minnesota, where if you want to know what it feels like, just strip naked, cover yourself with rubbing alcohol, and go into a meat locker. It's like that. Peter Robinson, Peter Robinson, of course, in beautiful California, and Rob Long, I'm sure, uh, Nolens, New York, where... No, I'm in New York. I'm back, back in, New in New York. York. Good. Although I did have a great time. So we are in three different places, and I assume that everything's back to normal now because the science changed, right? The science that was the science of you know a while ago is has been superseded by better science, newer science, trust the science, et cetera. So how are we uh, looking at this? Is this the Democrats looking at their polling numbers and saying, we have to get in front of this COVID thing? Or is it, as I suspect, a pure, rational, empirical judgment made on the latest data that's completely un- unrelated whatsoever to how people may be feeling about ongoing COVID restrictions? I don't know what they're thinking, but I know the science hasn't changed. The science has not changed. There was never any evidence that masking did any good at all unless you used a kind of heavy-duty medical mask. And even then, the, the evidence was mixed. That has been known for months and months and months. We have here Dr. Leanna Wen of CNN, and she says, I quote her, I don't think we should be looking at case counts at all at this point. We should never have been looking at case counts. The number of people who were totally asymptomatic or who had very mild, the case counts didn't matter. What mattered was who was becoming seriously ill, hospitalizations, and visits to the physician's office from people who were seriously ill was all that ever mattered. None, nothing has, no science has changed at all. And I know this because I'm channeling Jay Bhattacharya. <laughs> yeah. right. I, I, I think you're, you're passing off the masks is a little ridiculous. If you look at the Bangladesh study, you know, the people who wore the Bain style mask and sealed it along the edges with a little thin bead of epoxy uh, had a uh, slightly less chance of getting it. But no, I think you're right. Rob, um, New York. Oh, by the way, so normal. I was in Everybody Texas could, last week. Mm-hmm. I, I missed, I missed. All right. I just anecdote time here. I'll be very quick. Flight from SFO to Texas, and we're all wearing our masks. And the guy next to me says to the stewardess, what's the correct term these days? Stewardess is feminine. Flight Flight attendant. Flight attendant. Thank you very much. Says to the flight attendant, I'd like a beer or one of those little wines. Right. 
And she said, I'm sorry, we're not serving alcohol and coach. Was that person you, by the way? <laughs> it was not me, actually. But, I, okay. but that was only because she hadn't gotten to me yet. And <laughs> she stopped and explained that attacks on flight attendants were up 300% since 2019. And all the higher-ups in the organization, in the airline, the attendants were all being told to remain on high alert. And on the theory that people in, in first class were so rich they'd be generally content, they were continuing to serve booze in first class, but back in steerage, oh. where of course I always sit, they were not even serving alcohol. And she said, I'm no expert, but I think the masks make people crazy. I thought nothing of it particularly right. until I got to Texas. Nobody is wearing a mask in Texas. I check into the hotel, which was a gigantic, vast hotel, and the uh, the man who checked me in has a very loose-fitting mask, and I said, by the way, what are the rules? And he said, those of us who are hotel employees are required to wear masks, and the guests are strongly encouraged to wear masks. And I turned around at this gigantic lobby, a hundred people in the lobby, milling around at least, not one mask. And I said, I don't think I'll wear a mask. And he said, fine by me. And so it went for two and a half days in Texas. Then I get back on the plane, and of course everybody's masked up, and I realized I felt angry because I just spent two and a half days living in a place where you could see people's faces, where it was perfectly clear the masks were all a charade, and I thought I didn't feel angry to, enough to take a pop at a flight attendant, I'm happy to say, but I thought, I can see this, I can see this. If you live in, in Florida or Texas, which are after all, what, the second and second and third most populous states in the nation, and you get on a flight for California or New York, where they're still masking, yeah, I'd feel okay. The science hasn't changed. That's the point. Well, you're, I'm falling silent now, James. To your your, your, your experience in Texas is, uh, you know, experiment in, in mass death. I think it was Atlantic called Georgia at one point is interesting. Anecdotal. And the whole thing about the plane is, well, at least we're not living in a society where there's a growing disaffection between the rich and the others. You know, the idea that the first class can quaff it up, but those people back there can't because they're going to go nuts. Yeah, you're, I think you're right. It's the masks, not the booze. Rob, you were going to say. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, first of all, I, I, I really feel like you need to stop saying the word science. At this point, political science, which isn't a science at all, um, is much more scientific than what we're calling science. Science, look, it, it's research, right? It's statistical research. That's what we do. And the more statistical research we have, the better we are uh, at sort of predicting this virus and how it's going to change. But it seems to me that we've the, the statistics have been in. And be, people say, well, the science says, well, it isn't really the science, it's just the numbers, right? And the numbers say a thing. But they've been saying the same, pretty much the same thing since two years ago. Um, the, but the idea that there's guys in lab coats with, with, with test tubes is not. It's people looking at data. And the, what we know now, especially uh, from so a lot of today's reports that I read this morning, I think one is from Washington Post, which is sort of infuriating. Uh, this um, um, doesn't surprise anybody probably listening to this podcast, but apparently the CDC is antiquated, ossified, and sclerotic in its no, uh, method no, and uh, uh, of finding and collecting and crunching data. So that the breaking news. But the only other thing I'd say is that um, here's what's changed, is that a very promising to them national figure, Democrat, this week, ended her political career, I think, for the time being, ended her, essentially destroyed her candidacy, I think. Stacey Abrams in a what is now a photograph i think 
crystallizes everything you love or hate about COVID and COVID restrictions. She is smiling at a classroom filled with toddlers. And, you know, this is like these are elementary school, young elementary school kids. I don't know how old they were. They didn't look. There's not one over seven. Right. Second grade. Second grade. They are all masked behind her. She is sitting in the foreground smiling. Someone took that picture. Somebody approved that picture. You know, running a campaign, there's lots of photo approval steps. Somebody released that picture. It never occurred to anybody in the organization of Stacey Abrams and Stacey Abrams herself that there was a problem with that picture. The problem, like every other, like many, many political disasters and political gaffes, the problem with the picture is that it told the truth. They do not care about masks. They care about power. If she cared about a mask, if she thought a mask would make her safe, she'd be wearing one because of all the people in the photograph. Only Stacey Abrams is in a risk group of at least one that you can tell. She's a larger person. and I don't say that to be insulting. I say that simply because I'm following the science. And if she believes masks are important, she should have been wearing one. And if she believes they are not important, she should not have been wearing one. But neither should those children behind her. And people in Georgia, I guarantee you, who were thinking to themselves, you know what? Maybe, maybe it's time, are, have changed their mind. That has made them very, very angry. It made me angry, and I'm not even a voter in Georgia. But if you're a Democratic politician and you look at that picture, if, and I, if I'm a Republican uh, uh, the campaign consultant coming up in the in the in the midterms, I'm going to say every Demo- This is every Democrat. Every Democrat wants to saunter into your kid's classroom, put them in masks, and do whatever she wants to do. They have rules. They the the, the Democrats don't. I would I would go to town. Put it this way: the, the the midterms are going to be basically two gigantic arguments, right? One on the on the left from the Democrats is going to be January sixth, January sixth, January sixth, January sixth, January sixth. And I think that was probably a pretty good bet on January seventh, twenty 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 one, right? But I, if I were a Republican, it would just be she's not wearing a mask, and the children are wearing masks. That's who they are. You got to choose. I think that'd be very effective. Could, could I one last little? This is a news story. Uh, but I, this is a news story I love, and I would have talked about it last week if I hadn't been busy in Texas, because our audience deserves to hear this. Rob will know exactly what to make of this. It may require some translation, and I'll let Rob translate. Greenwich, <laughs> Connecticut. Late last year in Greenwich. There was an election to the Greenwich Town Council. Now, the Greenwich Town Council, of all the town councils in America, is a particularly storied town council. It's where Preston Bush began his political career, got elected to the Greenwich Town Council, and then went on and got elected to the Senate, and then started the Bushes in motion. And Republicans wiped out the Democrats in the election to the Greenwich Town Council. And I had a friend who ran for the Greenwich Town Council, and he sent me the, this is the kind of thing where if you get 64 votes, you're elected. It's people voting for their neighbors. And the Republicans who chose to run are Republicans yeah. who've just had it up to here. They're paying high taxes for public schools, at which teachers have now refused to teach for going on two years. And I just thought to myself, oh my 
goodness, if there's a revolution in Gold Coast, Connecticut, the whole country is just simmering. So the question is, like, that's, I think that is the, what's inspiring. Since that was the question James asks, the sudden, hey, no, let's get back to normal. Hey, it's nothing here about us libertarians or whatever. Um, that's what's guiding it, I think. Is the sense that there's that that there's a real problem here, um, and I think the same thing. Sort of, it's sort of a version of what's happening in Canada. Um, oh, we'll get to that in a bit. You, yeah, you have you have a bunch of rules that are now impossible to enforce, and the one thing the government never wants to do is to um, have a bunch of rules they can't enforce. That just leads to anarchy, um, and this is one of them. And they just they're going to have to they have to they have to back down. They they've committed a terrible terrible mistake. We're all going to see exactly how much of the remnant COVID neurotics, to be frank, uh, are going to drive policy on the left. Because here in Minnesota, we did Minneapolis, we just dropped our VAX mandate for the restaurants, which was not doing the local restaurants any good whatsoever. And if you look at the responses to this, uh, there's, a, there's a substantial people who are going back to their, their usual position of panic, that this is just going to make things worse. Haven't we learned this before? There is a faith in the ability of Matt, just the simple masking to, to stop this thing dead in its tracks, or at least to keep the hospitals from overflowing and, and, and for every you know, 30% of the population to be intubated. It is remarkable to hear people say again and again, because it comes down to this, that you, you don't understand that when you go out and you don't wear a mask, you can give it to somebody who will give it to somebody who's immunocompromised. So this side, their argument at this point, at this point in the pandemic is that all of human public social society should be determined on its impact on the on the absolute on the theoretical impact of, of the most vulnerable. Now you can make the argument that that's what a humane society does, but it's an argument for eternal masking and eternal restrictions Correct. and never Correct. going back, never going Correct. back to work. I mean, the intersection between people who want to stay at home now and never go back to the office, and the same people who are sort of new urbanists who believe in density, just um, <laughs> just amuses me to no end. They're two circles that are virtually completely the same. We should have dense cities, walkable cities, should get rid of the car, but everybody should work at home. Okay, well, then what do we do with these magnificent urban core structures that we spent the last 10, 15 years polishing and perfecting and making them that, I mean, we got so used to beautiful downtowns full of people and thriving with commerce that were safe. And then in a stroke, we killed the entire culture. So getting back to that involves people getting out of the house, which means that the people who are the most nervous about going, venturing back into human society for reasons that probably were somewhere in their personality before COVID hit, convincing that these are the people who are going to be screaming and shouting and saying, no, we can't go back to normal. We can't go back to normal because they didn't like normal for a variety of reasons. And how much of that is going to drive politics on the other side? I don't know. But I mean, from the places on the internet, I know, I know that I'm hanging out. There is still the same amount of panic and the same amount of fear that there was in March 2020. And I find that extraordinary. We have a pill now, don't we? Gentlemen, you know this, right? We've got, the, we've got a couple of pills that you can use to treat it. Antivirals. Am I correct? The, new, the, news, was, the news was released. The trials were good. Does anybody talk about the fact that we have a treatment, which is really good? No, it never factors into the conversations these people have. We're still back at that point of panic. No, I think you're right. But I also feel like there's the, 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 
Air's going out of that balloon, and it's going out fast. Um, people just aren't playing anymore. Um, they did the thing. It was okay. You told me to do this thing. I did it, and now I'm done. And um, the, right, but here, but here's my point, Robin. And tell, tell me if I'm wrong. Just as the you know the squad and the you know the the air quotes the wokeness and the online radicalization and pushing the party to the left. That's a small part of the Democratic Party, but it seems to have become their thematic constant, right? Yeah, so I mean, that, they are in trouble. Yeah. Right, so if that's the case, if, if you have that right. element, that small element driving the Democratic Party now, how much of the COVID fear, is, which is sort of an emotional health version of those policies, how much of that is going to shape their politics as well? Can, In other words, can they just say to these people, here are our middle fingers proudly unfurled to yeah. thou and move back to a centrist position? Because I don't see that. Happening. Maybe not. But I mean, that that is the glory of America is that we have punishing, punishing elections. Um, <laughs> more punishing now, I think they've ever been in the past, right? We, we have the most volatile political. Um, the past 30 years have been incredibly volatile politically. Uh, and that's either a bad thing if you like stability or a good thing if you like the fact that these guys are terrified. I like it. I, I don't mind the, the volatility we've been experiencing. But I mean, whatever you're... What, what sorry, the governor... Go the governor of yeah. New York, Rob, I, film, I, I just remember glancing. The governor of New York is lifted, <laughs> lifted in New York. Um, I mean, the mask mandates. I think, it's, I think it was effective yesterday. Um, but no one knows what right. that means. Does that mean that I don't have to wear a mask in the <laughs> store? Okay. Does that mean I don't need to wear a mask? What does that mean? Like she, what, 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 and what it means yeah. is really. Well, what it means is that she's yeah. a Democratic will, governor yes. and she's scared. She's, a, she's, she's someone facing election. I will know what that means um, Wednesday afternoon. We can talk about this on Friday. Wednesday afternoon, I got to go re-register my car ah. in New York State. Oh, okay. Uh, and I will go to the DMV where I have an appointment. And I will, uh, I will be happy. I will have a mask with me, and I will see. Because it seems to me, if the governor of New York State has said no mask mandates, that would seem to encompass, at the very least, the, the state office building, the Department of Motor Vehicles. We will, we will see. Is that you? You re-register in Manhattan, or do you have to drive out someplace? No, no. You can, there's, a, there's a. It's actually super efficient because you just make an appointment online to do it. And they, I have to say, the they're a little. Um, they were extremely specific about the documents they needed, which took me some time to get together. But in fact, it's a pretty efficient system. But I'm the when I got my driver's license, I was wearing a mask, and so was everybody else. Um, we shall see. That, that's the only test I think around around here. You know, nobody's wearing, a UPS store. They want you to wear a mask for some reason. Um, I don't know. Like I, it seems to me like uh, completely ad hoc. Mm -hmm. people are looking at each other and saying, can we do this now? Can we take these things off? Yeah, there's a lot of that. There's, a, there's a lot of eyes going back and forth and you see the, uh, people and, and just un, you know taking it off and free-facing it. I remember the, the DMV, the DMV in that. Washington, D.C. was... Uh, you spent. You put a whole day aside if you're yes. going there. Yeah. It was yes. like going into the lower, the 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 lair of the Minotaur. You would you bring a string behind you and drop breadcrumbs so you could find your way out. Do not miss that about D.C. The only thing that I miss about those days in D.C. It was strange. I, last time I was there, it's been years since I've seen this. There used to be guys standing on the street corner who would sell you three ties for $10. Yeah. And they had a lot of them. And a lot of them were ugly, but a lot of them were really great. No, they, were, they, were, they were cheap. But I, to this day, still have some of my early 90s, three for 10 buck ties. They really did uh, pop up my wardrobe. And, you know, 
frankly, when it, whether it's finding a good tie or a signature color or wearing a more flattering cut oh. of your clothing or getting a new statement. I didn't even write this detail to take your wardrobe up a notch. It did, yeah. intentionally so. As I said, the right detail like that can take your wardrobe up a notch. This year, let Indochino take care of your 2022 style edit. You can customize everything from your suits to your shirts to your chinos and bomber jackets at prices more affordable than you might expect. It's time to get a wardrobe personalized to your style and taste without spending a fortune. And if you're going to be going back to the office, we hope that if you want to, you will. You want to look sharp, right? Well, that's why Indochino is great, because every piece is made to your exact measurements, and you can customize every detail. Like I say, it's like Having one of those guys who comes out from the back with a tape measure around his, you know, draped around his shoulders and a piece of chalk in his hand. You go online and you figure out precisely what your measurements are. So it's just not like saying, eh, maybe that 2830 will fit. No, you'll know. And this includes when you choose the fabric, the lapel, the monograms, statement linings. You can create a suit that fits you and your style perfectly. The best part, Indochino suits start from just $429 in the shirts from $79 with all customizations included. Talk about uh, talk about style. Well, like I say, when I went online, I, I thought, you know, I'm kind of used to just going to Amazon and ticking a box and saying, I hope it fits. This was this was detailed. So by the time I put in all of my measurements, and I you know, frankly had to you know check to make sure that I was doing the right thing, I knew that what I got was going to fit, unlike the other stuff I get online, which doesn't. So give yourself a style edit that sets the tone for the rest of your year with Indochino. Get $50 off any purchase of $3.99 or more by using the promo code Ricochet at Indochino.com. That's $50 off a purchase of $399 or more at I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com. Promo code Ricochet. And we thank Indochino for sponsoring this, the Ricochet Podcast. And now we welcome to the podcast, Kendall Qualls, U.S. Army vet, former healthcare executive, and the founder of Take Charge Minnesota. It's a non- private committed to educating black Americans of the rights and privileges granted by the Constitution. He's here with us today as a candidate hoping to become the next governor of Minnesota. And as a Minnesotan, you want to be the boss of me. Okay, so that's great. <laughs> I'm, I'm more than happy to hear your case. Before we get to the specifics of this great state, and it is, let's go to a line on your campaign site where you say, quote, I'm not an exceptional person. I live in an exceptional country and I serve an exceptional God. How do you come to be such a champion of American individualism and exceptionalism and the rest of it? What's your story? Well, the, the reason I'm a champion of it is because uh, I came from re- really the, the, the probably the lowest rung of a ladder that you can get. You know, I remember going back to the George Bush years, actually, when he was governor of Texas. And 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 Richard says, you know what, George uh, Bush, you know, he. He uh, he's excited because he hits a home run, but he doesn't realize he was born on third base. And, uh, you know, for me, I, I was born in the parking lot of, <laughs> of that stadium. And uh, literally, I was born in Harlem, New York. My, my, when my parents divorced, I lived in Harlem in the late 1960s and early 70s when it was the epicenter for drugs, gangs and violence and everything. And I was there from first grade to fifth grade. And it, it was horrific. It, it was, you know, trauma literally every day. I mean, constant sounds of sirens and fighting and guns. And uh, it was interesting. We we didn't live like that initially because my parents were married. We There was five of us kids. But after, after the divorce, it was obviously it had changed quite a bit. Now, my father, when I was in fifth grade, comes and picks me up and my younger brother to live with him because my mother's is having just a hard time with all the kids. My older siblings get absorbed into the street culture of Harlem. 
And when he comes and picks me up, he's living in the trailer in a small trailer park because that's all he could afford. He's paying alimony and child support. He's a drill sergeant. So I tell people that's how I got my start in life. I've been called a ghetto kid, trailer trash, and a lot worse. And But what I've learned is in this country, where you start in life is not where you have to stay in life. There is a pathway out. That's a message for the state of Minnesota. It's one that's going to resonate. But as you know, this is a state that's sort of bifurcated. We've got the core city, which is extremely liberal. And then we have outstate, which is of a different political caliber and 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 uh, and, rest, and you know ingredients to that. So appealing to both of those is different. Right now, the outstate is probably looking at anybody who comes from Minneapolis and wants to govern the entire state as being completely out of touch with their needs and concerns. In the city itself, we are finding ourselves arguing over you know what you described of Harlem. We have in parts of this city really bad bad, bad social conditions and crime and the rest of it. And we have a governor who just said that he does not want to put the juvenile carjackers in jail because he doesn't think that's point. Rather, rehabilitation is necessary. So you have to craft a message that both speaks to the Minneapolitans and the Twin Cities and the people who are worried about social disintegration and the people in the outstate who are talking about agricultural policy and getting the mines open, getting the permitting so that we can get the pipelines and the, and, you know, and the jobs and the rest of it. What's your what do you say? You've got a room full of a hundred people and you don't know how many of them are outstate and how many of them are from the cities. What do you say to them that Minnesota wants to hear? Well, Jim, here here's the scenario. I I'll probably get 75 to 80 percent of the outstate vote for sure. I've already been out there, I've been doing it for a year. They've been calling me to help them. They you know we literally the grandparents and parents from the outstate. Helping, helping to address this critical race theory that was in schools, that was pushed in schools last year. And so from the, from the Iron Range to, to, Albert, to Albert Lee, I've been out there 16,000 miles in six months. So what I'd say to this group is that this promise of America works for anyone, regardless of race, regardless of social standing, and we can actually do this. And, but here's what it starts. We have to have a, we have to feel safe in our communities. That's number one. Uh, law and order is the issue. And for black Americans, I say this, look, you know, God did not intend for women to raise children alone. In my lifetime, we've gone from 80 percent two parent families in the black community to 80 percent fatherless homes because we trusted and relied on politicians and what they were telling us. And we've lost the core roots of who we were in the black community. And those three things were faith, family and education. We, we had that. And by the time that Martin Luther King was assassinated, we lost our core because that's who we were as a culture. It's time to get back to basics. And that get back to basic is rooted in everyone as far as those American values and principles, faith, family, education. Those principles, those really are universal, regardless of race, that has helped perpetuate this country with be one the, the greatest country in the world. Hey, uh, Kendall, Peter Robinson here. Good to see you. We met in Dallas a week ago. Right. So, I don't live in Minnesota. I live in California, and there are plenty of days when I wished I lived in Minnesota. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, though, that if I were living in Minnesota, one of the things I'd want to know about you is George Floyd. Right. He's killed. Right. He dies. He's killed. Derek Chauvin is convicted of murder, and Minneapolis 
erupts in riots. Excuse me, that's not the sequence. Derek Chauvin is convicted months later. Right. George Floyd dies. There are riots. One of the police precincts, the, so much attention and threat of danger of violence that the police cleared out of, I think is the third precinct, James would know. Yeah. And the rioters actually took over the station and burned it. So, you're a black man. George Floyd was a black man. The protests were protesting, at least this was the claim, the mistreatment of African Americans through American history and even to this day. Police so what do you make of all this? Where do you stand on defund the police? Where do you stand on the the place of African Americans in in society? What do you make of what happened? Right, right. During, during those days. So th there's two two incidents that happened on that day. The tragic uh, death of George Floyd. To watch that in, from a humanity standpoint was horrific. And there were people that were uh, protesting peacefully in that community. The second incident that happened, totally separate from George Floyd, was it became political with Black Lives Matter, defund the police, Keith Ellison, Ilhan Omar. They radically politicized it. And then when law and order got out of the control, what happened when in, in, in that second incident, so the first one was tragic, the second one political, Ilhan Omar, Keith Ellison, and our governor, Keith Waltz, allowed this to happen. The rioting, the looting, the defund the police, the burning down of the, 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 the third precinct. And then now, two and a half years of the worst lawlessness that we've ever seen in this state. And I can tell you, Minnesotans, forget politics for a minute. Minnesotans across the state are just... Um, you know, it, it is not just horrific. I don't, I don't want to say they're, they're at their limit as far as, you know, this how this is allowed to happen, how the economy has been allowed to happen. And we have two, I, I call them two juvenile delinquents that are mayors of the Twin Cities that are, that are trapped in human adult bodies, <laughs> that their focus is on mask mandates and vaccine passports to go into restaurants while the cities are just literally, uh, this reminds me of living in Harlem. We have women that are being beaten in suburban parking lots and their cars taken on a daily basis. We have young kids that are being shot in their neighborhoods in the inner cities. And this is happening on a routine basis. And the governor is allowing this to happen. What, the, what Minnesotans are looking for is someone that can speak to this, address it without being called racist and everything else, like an adult and a leader. So my background and why I come through this is that not, I not only came out of this and from the inner city and everything, and, and I worked my way through college, worked full-time through college. I was in the Army Reserves. I got commissioned as an officer in the Army. I served five years in the Army as a and then left as a captain. I served on the DMZ. I went into the private sector, the first in my family. I was told, Kendall, don't go out there. My father and my father-in-law were men of the, of the uh, Jim Crow South. So their last memory in the civilian world, because they're both military men, was how the horrific systemic racism that we had. I started from the ground up with Johnson & Johnson with, with these Fortune 100 companies. I grow, uh, 27 years later, I'm a global vice president with an $850 million business unit. So... 
one of the things that I bring to the to the Republican Party that I can unify the party, I can unify the corporate business side, and I can unify the, the far, I don't, I don't call it far right, I can unify the, the conservative side. Because I am a Christian. I became a Christian when I was 27 years old. I, I raised my family. I've been married for 36 years. We have five kids. I adopted one of them. I can't remember which one. I love them all the same. Because um, what I'm doing now as governor is an extension of what I've been doing all my life. I've been swimming upstream my entire life. Uh, hey, thanks for joining us. I'm Rob in New York. Um, so I just want to be a little blunt here. Minnesota is a predominantly white state. Its black population is about half the national average. That's right. Um, so does it bug you that you people just want to talk about black stuff? Not at all. You look, you know, half the time I, I talk, in fact, it's not even half the time. When we speak, maybe it's about a third. Mm -hmm. You know, Rob? Do you, do you think you, that you're, you're, I guess what I'd say is that there's been this gigantic cloud I mean, I'm a cloud, but like one single topic for the past two years, essentially, we've been talking about uh, and has morphed into started with law enforcement and now has morphed, at least more New York City, where I am, into law and order enforcement. Right. Um, is that an issue right now for Minnesotans? Is that is that something that people I'm just thinking of Eric Adams, the new mayor here in New York City, who ran successfully. I mean, he's a Democrat. Of course, he you know, he's pretty much going in. But. He um, he built a coalition of uh, parents, essentially, who were concerned yes. about crime. Is that is that part of what you're going to be talking about? Oh, so absolutely. So let me give you my let me give you my three points. Number one, that's one of the reasons I got into this race is that we need to fix our crime. You, we can't have business. We can't have commerce. We can't have civil society if people can't right. feel comfortable in their communities and across the state. And it affects commerce and everything. Number two is this whole thing around our finances. We're, we're at the top tier in, in business and personal taxes in this state, literally. And we people have been moving out of the state because of that. And it's not just because of retirees. Right. We're on the handful of states that actually still uh, actually tax Social Security retirees. The third reason is empowering pay, uh, parents on education. These, 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 these three things are really universal things. It's not necessarily political. Right. The, the left has made them political. Yeah. Now, right. I, I want to respond to this one thing about race. The third one is, has to be a little bit, not just critical race theory, but just fighting back about this being bullied on everything and from race to equity to this. You know, I think Americans are getting fatigued by this whole race thing. And here's, here's what I do, and I enlighten this, and I poke back. This is the least racist period in our country's history. Okay, now, you, you understand when you say that. We're not, I mean, I'm nodding my head. I, Peter and James are nodding our head. But that's going to be a hard, I mean. It's not a hard that sell. Is, you don't think it is? Absolutely not. And here's why. You don't think the I can only find reason white progressive journalists in, in Minneapolis who are just going to. Dig into that I can't thing. wait. Okay. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait. And here's why. The white progressive term, they're a minority of the viewpoint of our country. And the only reason why that, that, per, that permeates is that they don't get pushed back with reality and facts. Mm -hmm. Now, here's a scenario. Um, the disparity that we have in fatherless homes in the United States. In fact, I have an op-ed that's going to be coming out soon on this thing. It, 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 it is a... Right. I call it a cultural genocide 
It, it is probably the worst scandal unreported in our lifetime that you have a culture that finally gets civil rights and they go from 80% two-parent <laughs> families to 80% fatherless homes and our life and no one's written it right. and there's been no attempt to reverse it. And you're going to tell you, my congressman, when I was a kid in Harlem, I used to go back and visit my mother every year and look at the friends that I had in Harlem. Charlie Rangel was there 47 years. And you know what? He got wealthier and wealthier. His cronies <laughs> yeah. and his families were taking and everyone there remained in poverty and, and got worse. Okay. You know what that is? That's 13th century Europe. Yeah. Okay. So, so I, I mean, I know you got to run. So I, I just want to, who is the, describe to me the voter in, in Minnesota who, who you really need to get. Not the Republican, not the conservative. Who's yes. the voter who goes in and votes for the Democrat or is kind of skeptical, sees you and thinks, I don't know if I trust the who are you trying to get? Where's the where's the where, where, where's the tipping point for you? I, I can give you the profile because I just met I just met this guy. Okay. So I just met this guy. And, you know, it's um his brother. This is Irish, Irish Catholic family. His brother is 84 years old, conservative Republican, his younger brother, 60-year-old. A Democrat who went to the Clinton National Convention in the Democratic Party. Okay, you know what? Yeah, he went to go. He went the caucus for me, and the replace says, "Kendall, this is a big deal." But this crime thing, it is told. This is not what we signed up for. This is not who we are. We we need. To, I, I'm scared living here. We have progressive people that I call JFK Democrats, Clinton Democrats. This what's happening in the Democratic Party. Is not the, not not it's not even the Democratic Party of my parents' era. It's not the it's the, not the Democratic Party of the Clinton era. These people are going to be voting for me, and I'm going to tell them just like I told my my you know uh, junior high when I was a junior high. Look, we can be boyfriend and girlfriend. Maybe something this girl said to me. She said, "Yeah, we can be boyfriend. You can be my boyfriend, but just don't tell anybody." So, <laughs> <laughs> when you go in to vote, when you go in to vote, you can, I'm a comfortable vote. But you could, you don't have to tell your friends you voted. Hey, Kendall, I don't have a question. I just have a comment. You're running for the right office, but in the wrong state. Will you please come here to California and run for governor? Will you please? No, please? no, we need the man. I'm no, no, man. no. We need 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 the we need the man here. We need the man here. Um, well, he, here's what I feel. If we can do this in Minnesota, it'll. I think it'll spark an enthusiasm around the country. Well, you know how crazy our gubernatorial politics can be. Uh, so, I mean, it's all sorts of all manner of things are possible. But now the people, the good liberal people of Minnesota are seeing the consequences of the ideology, ideology for which they voted. They're, and they're getting it good and hard. I mean, they're, they're seeing the social disorder. They're see I mean, I drove up 35W the other day. And if you know, we've just finished this magnificent project of rebuilding the freeway. And there's all these walls. And they're spattered with graffiti. They are covered for a mile with ugly graffiti that nobody takes away. And it used to be that, you know, we paid high taxes. We got used to who we got good services for. We got good roads and good schools. And it was a clean and civil, safe, sane place. And now when you see this sort of disorder, you think, it's all for naught. And so, yes, what you're talking about, I think, is going to be a message that's going to resonate. And a lot of people on the, on the, on the Demo DFL side are going to say that they did vote for you because the current administration seems to be a bit feckless and fey. Hey, um, this is great. And we'd love to have you back again uh, after your, your inauguration. You'll probably be busy, but um, we've got some stuff that... Uh, 
you know, we can we can argue about the important matters in life, like the uh, the problem with New York pizza style, which frankly I knew we were going to get into, but we probably best not this time. Let's 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 concentrate on the goal. It's eyes on the prize. Thank you so much for joining us, Mr. Qualls. We uh, we hope to speak with you again. Well, thank you so much thank for having you, me. Kevin. Enjoy. Good luck here. on the good luck on the hustings. All right, take care. Bye. Well, breaking through the adamantine barriers that some uh, Minnesota good liberals have to voting Republican, it might happen, you know, and they'll feel strange about it. But then again, perhaps they resolve to do something different intellectually this year. It's always possible. Now, we all know those resolutions that you make can be tricky and you, you, you make them and you break them. I get that. But just because you make resolutions and you don't follow through them doesn't mean you shouldn't still be looking for a way to shake things up, whether it's by switching up your workout routine or going someplace new. I can't wait to get get back on a plane and, you know whatever way you happen to challenge yourself this new year there's no better way to do it than with a pair of raycon wireless earbuds in your ears because whatever you're going to do needs a soundtrack you can provide it and raycon can play it well raycon wireless earbuds are the best way to bring audio with you because no matter how you shake things up i mean literally no matter how much you shake you know they won't fall out of your ears i can testify to this i was walking to work the other day and slipped on the ice and they stayed in my ears. That's a, that is a testament to their power. Their everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. There's also an awareness mode. So when you need to listen to your surroundings, you can take Raycons with you wherever you go. With optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit, these earbuds are so comfortable, and they will not budge. Even if you slip, fall on your knee, or your coccyx, they're going to stay in there. Uh, so Raycon offer also eight hours. Did I say that? Eight hours of playtime and a 32-hour battery life. And the price just right. You get quality audio for half the price of the other premium audio brands. It's no wonder that Raycon's everyday earbuds have over 48,000 five-star reviews. So right now, Ricochet listeners, that would be you, can get 15% off their Raycon order at buyraycon.com slash ricochet. That's buyraycon, B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N.com slash ricochet to save 15% of your Raycons. Buyraycon.com slash ricochet. And we thank Raycon for sponsoring this, the Ricochet Podcast. And now we welcome to the podcast Ezra Levant, Canadian media personality, political activist, writer, broadcaster, was the founder of the Western Standard and was columnist for Sun Media, where he hosted a daily program for the Sun News Network. He's the founder, owner, and main contributor of Rebel News, and is our inside man on Canada's trucking situation. He had a great Twitter thread the other day about how this is going to end. Describe that and tell me whether or not you still stand by it. Well, I mean, the truckers are a Canadian phenomenon uh, that I've never seen before in my life. A truly grassroots, authentic, organic movement with no leader. It's not funded by a super PAC. There's no organizer. There was a nice lady who put up a GoFundMe page that just blew up. But I don't think any of the money's actually flowed to truckers. That's a different subject. But this is truly organic. And as the convoys, and there were several of them, it's such a big country, it's not just one long train. As they snake their way through the roads and towns of this country, more and more people came up to cheer them on, to watch them by the side of the road, to gather on overpasses and cheer. And I, my estimate is that there were up to 100,000 trucks or truckers who participated in some or all of the convoy. And I think it's probably close to a million people who came to cheer them on. And I say again, no political party was behind them. They were, it was a truly grassroots workers' rebellion, to use a left-wing phrase. It was very peaceful. In fact, there has not been a single violent incident other than violence done to the truckers. For example, in Winnipeg, 
a pro-mask, pro-lockdown Antifa activist rammed into four of the truckers. He's been charged with four crimes, 11 counts, actually. Um, but it's peaceful. It's very Canadian. It's not a revolution. There are acts of civil disobedience. Like they're, bro- they're blocking the mighty bridge between Detroit and Windsor, over which hundreds of millions of dollars of trade flow. It's actually a quarter of all Canada-U.S. trade because the auto sectors on both sides of that bridge. So there is some civil disobedience. I will not uh, gloss that over, but it's peaceful. Ezra, can you just tell us Americans, where do matters stand this very morning? I honestly, I'm confused. I had the impression that the truckers had all gone to Ottawa, but no, you're saying they're down in on the border of, they're there in Windsor, blocking the bridge. To, so where do matters stand? Where are they? How much have they shut down? Well, there's truckers everywhere. Like I say, it's organic. So you have a blockade at the Alberta-Montana border. That's been in place for two weeks now. Uh, but that's not a big border crossing. It's in the middle of the Bald Prairie. The, the critical one is the Ambassador Bridge between Detroit and Windsor. And that's got American, Americans really worried because that could really start to affect jobs and the supply chain for America. And Joe Biden doesn't want that. You've got the <laughs> basically the sit-in in ottawa they've been ordered by a court to stop their use of big air horns fair enough it's a lot of people live in the city but other than that they're just sort of hunkered down you have other border protests in uh, between manitoba and north dakota but the flashpoint i say again is this ambassador bridge it's a multi-billion dollar bridge privately owned actually it really is the it's like the the aorta it's such an important artery between our two countries. And you'll, Justin Trudeau's reaction to the truckers has been to smear them, racist, sexist, yes. he, he refused to meet with them. But Jen Psaki, she said her concern, but she has not engaged in the same name-calling. And I think that's very wise, right. because I think America ha- doesn't have a stake in Trudeau's personal vendetta against these truckers. What, does, what do Americans care? What you, in fact, Joe Biden likes to position himself as a friend of the working man. It's not accurate, but that's part of his self-image. He doesn't need to smear these working-class truckers. So my theory is the way this will end is that Joe Biden will say, oh, good news from the CDC. We have the science has evolved. We don't need a vaccine mandate for long-haul truckers going back and forth to America. And so Justin Trudeau will have to reciprocate because it doesn't make oh. sense on a round-trip journey to need a vaccine mandate on one side but not the other side. So I think Joe Biden, and I don't know America as well as you guys, obviously, I'm a Canadian, but he has not painted himself into a corner. He has not put a lot of his moral capital on the line. He has not said, I will never meet with these people. He's, I mean, he's in his own cloud. So I think he's going to end it because he doesn't want America dragged into this. Hey, Ezra, Rob, Rob right. <laughs> so Ezra, I'm, uh, Rob, yes. Rob and James want to come in, in a second, but I want to add, ask one more question. Why has Justin Trudeau painted himself into a corner? I mean, as I understand it, the Liberal Party had a scare in the last election. The conservatives who were run by, as best I can tell, the conservative leader was a feckless and and weak and even at that the liberals had a close run near run thing of it he now heads a coalition government as i recall the the liberals don't hold an outright majority in government and here he is (laughs) i kept waiting i i'm still waiting for some 
just notes, just some background music of conciliation or right. some attempt to find, and none of it, none of it. He's he has doubled down day by day by day. What does he think? He's, does he really think he has the country with him? Well, it's always right. worked for him before, calling his opponents these names. Um, it's, it's a little bit of projection. He has worn blackface so many times, he said he can't remember the number, but he calls people racist. He, was, he basically confessed to sexually assaulting a reporter named uh, Rose Knight in the town of Creston, BC. Right. I mean, right. he apologized for it at the time. And then he said, well, and then more recently he said, well, she experienced it differently. He calls you sexist. He at least groped and perhaps assaulted a woman. He admits to it. He violates your civil liberties through the lockdowns, but he claims you're violent. He's, he's a bit of a manipulator and it's always worked for him, but now it's not working. One of the reasons why is like I say, a million people have seen with their own eyes, the true nature of this convoy. So they're not going to buy it. All they see are Canadian flags and happy truckers. They don't see Nazis, so it's just laughable. Another reason is a lot of Canadian truckers are ethnically diverse. There's a lot of Sikh truckers, South, South Asian truckers, indigenous Canadians, like, like Indians. And um, so it's just, it just doesn't connect. And I think a lot of people are, are tired of the lockdowns, and they're just sick of his you know he puts on that dramatic actor voice i mean he used to be a substitute drama teacher and he gets into that and he that sexy move like i always like when he gets into that first date timber of his voice baby you know when he starts talking like a boyfriend it's gross five six years ago i think a lot of people responded oh he's wonderful i think so many people have fallen out of love with him now it's just gross they say ooh. That's who you are. It's, I mean, the mask has fallen, but he can't get out of it because how do you meet with Nazis after you call them Nazis? Um, that's where Joe Biden comes in because Joe Biden's not in the corner. Joe Biden doesn't even know where Canada is, what subway stations Canada on. But, but if his people just say, look, get, get rid of this. We don't need convoys in America. We don't need supply chain issues. We don't need these visuals. We don't need this going into the midterm. Right. Well, well, um, Hey, so thanks for joining us. It's Rob Long in New York. Uh, so I've, uh, I'm just going to be revealing about my own psychology. Part of me is cheering this, right? It's great because I think Trudeau is a moron and I think these mask mandates are stupid or the vaccine, all that stuff is dumb. So I think that the point here, if that's the point, is great. But another part of me is like, well, this is paralyzing an entire country and it is having a really radical economic uh, uh causing radical economic damage, sudden economic damage, the beginning, the green shoots of a, maybe of a recovery. And as a, you know, as a sort of a law and order conservative myself, I'm like, well, you know, there are other ways to do this. Um, am I just missing the point? This seems like I, uh, overwhelmingly approving of this and, and applauding. It seems like uh, I'm going to regret this. You know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean, and I think of these things myself because a couple of years ago we had Antifa-style blockades right. of our railways, and of course we were against that. Here's a couple of things that I that I think in my mind. First of all, one of the differences between Canada and the United States is that every single check and balance in our country has failed. There are ten provinces and the federal government. Every government 
and every opposition party mm-hmm. are in unanimity on the lockdowns. There's no Ron DeSantis here. Okay. There's no op- there is not one. The second thing is no court has ruled against any of the lockdowns. Not one ruling in the entire country has been knocked down. Your Supreme Court, you have different courts. There's been some pushback. There's the media, other than independent outlets like us, are unanimous in support of this. Academia, unanimous. The colleges of physicians and surgeons suspend anyone. I just literally right. okay. before your call, this show, I got a call so, from it. So it's the entire... So facing a monolith, you're saying this is it. This is that you can't say to these people that this you, is a peaceful general right. strike. It's a peaceful so, general strike. Do I like yeah. it? No. I mean, it's going to have a, it's, it's going to it has negative effects, right? So my other question is this because I'm this is what I'm most fascinated by because it seems I mean I don't know if this is the right word. This seems like an incredibly diabolically elegant protest. You get your big thing and you park it, and you can't move the big thing because it's too yeah. big. Yeah. And no one else knows how to move the big thing. Certainly not Justin Trudeau probably couldn't drive an 18 wheeler if you gave him a million dollars. Right. The people who would tow the big thing, if you had to get in the tow or you needed people to tow this thing are more than likely going to be in sympathy with the protesters. So you have this terrible moment where you really can't order a bunch of truck tow tr- tr- truck tow truck drivers in because they, those guys are also driving trucks and probably hate this too. So there's a sort of a genius here. Whose idea was it? Where did it start? Who, the first I, person. I, I tell you, it was it was organic. But I mean, there's always one. A, like there's always. I mean, listen. I remember in the '70s there was a song called "Convoy," and like we knew convoy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's being yeah. Played. So like yeah. there's a guy, Congress, and he yeah. thought of it. So who's the guy? Do we know the yeah. guy is? I want to meet the guy. I don't know if we'll, I don't know if we'll ever know. I don't know if we'll ever know. But let me tell you, it's gone. It, you're right on the tow truck drivers. I see news stories all the time of uh, an entire city, not a single tow truck driver will. will die. This is what they mean by solidarity forever. This is what they mean by workers of the world mm-hmm. unite. This is what the left always talked about. What's so interesting to me is that the left wing parties are the most vicious towards the working yeah. class. <laughs> they hate this workers' yeah. rebellion. They. They support the violation of collective agreements. All of a sudden, big companies and big governments say, we have a collective agreement with 100,000 workers. We're just foisting this new term on you. You must get vaxxed or you're fired and the unions won't grieve it. Oh, is that how the left plays? What happened to being against big pharma and big corporations? What about personal choice? Pro, you know, my body is my right. So all, so all of a sudden, there were, there are enormous groups of people who do not see any outlet. And what I love about the truckers is that they're honest and law-abiding people. This is the only thing they've ever done in their lives that is contrary to the law. And people know that. They know they're not destroyers like the Antifa blockaders from two years ago. So is this a... Are are we seeing a new picture of canada i mean you know canadians are all like they're all socialist and that's, that's our attitude they're polite socialists up there they look down at us they think oh you americans all you do is like make all this noise is this a is this a canada that we got to get used to you know i'm 49 years old i've lived in canada my whole life i have never in my life seen such expressions of freedom and I didn't know that it was possible. I've, I've always assumed I was the one conservative in a country of socialists. I've seen p- the word freedom used <laughs> more in the last two weeks than in the last two decades. I've, that is not a Canadian idea. <laughs> and, and what has felt particularly 
heartwarming to me. I mentioned the ethnic diversity of these truckers. So you see new Canadians with their accents, foreign accents, saying, I believe in liberty and I don't believe the government has the right to, like, like to see the eloquent phrasing of liberty by people who are so new to Canada yes. that they still have an accent. I didn't know that the roots of freedom were still deep like that. And, and let me tell you, there was an opinion poll that showed that 32% of Canadians see themselves in the truckers. That would immediately be the most popular political party if these truckers were a party. Oh, man. Yeah. Hey, Ezra, so, uh, Peter here. I just want you to know why Rob is asking who the first guy was, and that's because he's already working on the screen. Yeah, it's got to be the guy. You've got to find out who that is. Well, the Aaron know, Brockovich I of this. Know, I don't know if we'll ever know who it was. Um, that's great. Then Rob gets the to make him up. Start, yeah. Yeah, the lady who started the GoFundMe is not even a trucker. She just said, oh, I like what's going on. Let me raise a few bucks. And suddenly $10 million was in there. And that's another thing. They seized that money. But first of all, they pressured GoFundMe to call right. it off. Then they set up a go send me or sorry, go give send go. And now the government of Ontario has sought and received an ex parte order to seize those or freeze those funds. So this is Hugo Chavez stuff, seizing your opponent's bank accounts. That's what you do in Caracas or Havana. Wow. That's not what you do in and, Canada. Ezra, a little, let me ask a little bundle quickly. Yeah. I'll ask him quickly and you answer at any length you wish. A little bundle of questions about the politics of this, which just fascinates me. I mean, I, I, I hadn't thought of it. You summed it up for us, but that every Dominion government and the federal government and the press and the courts have all been in lockstep on the, the lockdown and the mandates. Fascinating. Okay. About the truckers, is there a demographic aspect of this? I had assumed, it seemed to me that the convoy began in the Western provinces so I had assumed that these were all Western Canadians, and Canada, there's a difference between West and East, question one of three. Question two of three, where's Quebec in all this? We're so used to thinking in Canada, well, you always have to worry about the Quebecois, why don't we hear any truckers speaking French? And here's question three of three. The Conservatives just made a bet on a soft, on a wet Conservative, and he lost the election. Why aren't there, maybe there are, maybe I just haven't seen them, why aren't there some conservative politicians freelancing saying, I'm with these guys and going right out and taping statements with truckers, getting themselves on the air, trying to position the conservative party with these people? Three great questions. So the first one, yes, there is a freer spirit in the West. It's a little bit like Texas. And I think that's where the main convoy did start from, but it was soon echoed throughout the country. I should tell you the good news from Quebec is that there was a disproportionate number of truckers from Quebec. I learned the really? word trucker in French's camionneur. And the camionneurs were outstanding. And in fact, the premier of Quebec, rather than taking the Trudeau denunciation, he said, I'll meet with them. And then finally, your question is about the Conservative Party. The Conservative Party of Canada has had two disastrous leaders in a row. And there was this instinct amongst backbench, as we call them, backbench conservative MPs to go out and meet the truckers. And the leader, his name was Aaron O'Toole, just wouldn't and wouldn't and wouldn't. And then 10 days ago, the Conservative Party of Canada kicked out their leader. They fired Aaron O'Toole. They, the caucus met 
and threw him out in one day by a vast majority. He was actually the first casualty of the truckers because these conservative backbench MPs were saying, these are our people. What are you doing? These are our people. And he wouldn't. So they threw him out. So the Conservative Party of Canada now has a new leadership race because the last guy was terrible. The new guy that I'm seeing, I believe his name starts with a P. I saw an interview with him. Pierre Polyev. Right. I saw an interview with him at Trudeau, and it was it was bracing. It was wonderful. I mean, if Trudeau had been wearing like, oh, I don't know, a Castro style beard, it would have all been sort of burned off by the rhetoric that he was giving to them. So I hope that he does. Hey, the only thing that we hear really here in Minnesota, which, you know, very close to Canada, um, your, your your Winnipeg is like our Minnesota, Minneapolis is uh, the local radio station, the public radio station at the end of the night plays as it, as it happens. And that's about it. But the CBC, of course, being the dominant voice over there with a lot of funding from the state, would be the dominant house organ of the media. And then there's you. So how has Rebel News done throughout this? Are people turning to you and saying, hey, wait a minute, this is an organization outside of the official government speak. I'm going to see what they've got for the first time. Are you seeing traffic up? Are you seeing legitimacy increased? Are you seeing, what do you, how does this look for Rebel? Well, very much so. And uh, we have in the last two years really emphasized on the ground reporting, not not just punditry. There's a place for punditry and commentary, but it, if you're just a commentator, you're punditing on someone else's raw material. Get the raw material. So, for example, last weekend we had reporters with cameras in nine different cities at different blockades and, and rallies, Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, Milk River, Coots, Montreal, sorry, Ottawa, et cetera, right. et cetera, et cetera. So we were pumping out so much raw material, we would just put our logo on it and upload it. And I think we probably had more people putting eyes on our work than on the CBC state broadcaster. I could be wrong. They have they have such an enormous machine. But certainly our motto, telling the other side of the story, has been proven true. And I mean, I haven't looked at our traffic stats, to be honest, but I just know it's in the millions. Um, I think that we also do an interesting thing because we're demonetized on YouTube um, and advertisers are very... It's less than 1% of what we do. We crowdfund and we have... People, it's a measurement of passion out there and an underserved group. If, uh, so we just crowdfund our, our channel and people deeply believe in what we're doing. So it's allowing, and, and again, that shows that the break, I, I listed all the institutions that don't work, the courts, the academia, the college of physicians and surgeons, the opposition, et cetera. The media in this country is dominated by the state broadcaster. It's larger than all private media combined. And then that wasn't enough for Trudeau, so he brought in a media bailout for the newspapers. They're all on the take, too. Literally 99% of journalists in Canada are either bought or rented by Trudeau. We're one of the very few who don't take the dough. And it shows. And I'm not saying we're ever going to be big. We're 52 people. But let me, let me tell you how that story is going to end. Uh, last week, Justin Trudeau introduced Bill C-11, to regulate the internet. I wonder who he has in mind. <laughs> well, I, I, I've seen early drafts of that. I we have breaking news from Canada. We, we, look, this is true. While you've been on, Ezra, Manitoba has announced that it's lifting the, the uh, vaccine mandates. I'm not sure exactly. I don't have the... Manitoba to drop all vaccine requirements 
and this is in the 28 minutes ago. Yeah. So I am going to say that it was your appearance on the Ricochet podcast that caused the first province in Canada to stand up and do the right thing. Ezra Levant, we thank you, and even more, we applaud ourselves. <laughs> well, listen, thanks uh, for having me on the show today. Back to James. I'm sorry. I was just interrupting. Back to James. No, that's fantastic. Listen, folks, if you want to follow the story and you don't want to get what you you know you're going to get from the CBC, just Google Ezra Levant. Just Google well, Rebel just go News. rebelnews.com. Rebelnews.com. And we have a special compilation page just for the truckers. It's called convoyreports.com. Convoyreports.com. And we, we literally have a guy standing on the Ambassador Bridge right now live streaming. We've also crowdfunded lawyers for the truckers because they're going to need it. My point of view is if Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and Saddam Hussein can get a free lawyer, we can give some lawyers to these men. And I'm not saying that they haven't broken a law here or there. I'm not saying that. They are. They're engaged in civil disobedience. So did Gandhi. And his point was he wasn't trying to evade punishment. He was trying to prove the injustice of the system. And he was counting on the nobility of the Brits to see what they were doing was wrong. Gandhi's approach doesn't work against a Stalin or Xi Jinping. It only works against mm -hmm. uh, an authority that has a conscience. These truckers mm -hmm. are these truckers would be killed in a different place. They will be punished in Canada, but they're hoping that the injustice and the, the nobility, they're not violent, they're not cheating anyone, they're, they're not benefiting personally anyway, they're taking a stand because every other, I believe that history will regard them as heroes. And so Rebel News is crowdfunding, and we have a partner, uh, no relation to the U.S. entity by the same name, in Canada, it's called the Democracy Fund, it's not Piero Meteor's group. We're crowdfunding the legal defense for the lawyers in at least three of these blockades. Great. Great. Testing. Well, good luck. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Thanks for having me, guys. Good luck down there. Thank you, Ezra. Absolutely Cheers. fascinating. A real journalist, somebody who knows stuff. And, and Robert, you had to mention the convoy song. You know, we got ourselves a convoy. Yes, we do. C.W. McCall, was that it? The whole trucker phase of the 70s. I mean, here we are. It's, we've, we've got the inflation. We've got the problems with Iran. And now we're, and now we're bringing back trucker lingo and the next thing you know we're gonna have big posters of shirtless chris christopherson telling us 10 for good buddy sure well we have the inflation that's <laughs> so we're already just, halfway yes. to the 70s that's what we i just said you weren't even listening i just i, I already said that Wait, i'm not I'm trying because i'm trying to remember that this i can't because you yes. caused an earworm to jump into both um, rob's skull and mine <laughs> well yeah, rob was probably waiting for the segue but the, yeah. the deal of it is yeah. is that there is no segue going to an ad because what we have actually right. is an in-house ad we have a testimony coming from brother rob who is going to tell you something that you need to know rob uh, well, I've got a bunch of things I want to say. One is I want to remind people that if you are a student listening to this or you know a student listening to this, you got to go to Ricochet uh, and join a, a student membership. That's like a .edu email, right? Uh, and it's free. And we want you to join because we want your voice. We want you to be part of the club here. Uh, also that, you know, it's a, it's free to join, essentially. Even if you're not a student, you get two two weeks that you can um, um, check around, kick the tires, join some conversations, see what you like. Um and we know that if you try us out, that you will join. Um, because for all the time we spend online, you know, you'd think that we do nothing but sing the praises of being online. But of course, you, uh, we all know uh, that uh, 
the online community, online world is just the worst, like trolls, filth, nasty stuff, et cetera. And what we're trying to look for, what we try to create is a, um, a kookless, jerkless site. That was a description I thought was very apt. Well, jerkless read, anyway. Jerkless, right. To read and converse. And that is what Ricochet is. Uh, Ricochet.com is the place to be, not only if you want to know what's happening in this eclectic conservative movement or in moment, but if you want to be a part of it too. Uh, and you know what being part of it means, not just listening to podcasts, but to join conversations and maybe starting your own, uh, mixing it up in the comments, mixing it up in the member feed, uh, sharing your own life history. It also means you know listening to John Gabriel's Colin. Um, we've teamed with Colin, which is a new app that allows you to create podcasts and cultivate audio communities. So that's right. If you're tired of podcasters, like you know who, um, here's your chance to give us the true story. Uh, by the way, um, John Gabriel does one um, every weeknight, and it's, it's fantastic. And it's a, basically we're kind of you know create a community calling, uh, and it seems to be working. And uh, there I, are I think I, uh, I just I just have to say yeah, well, Kukla's Jerkless sounds like the name Kukla's of Jerkless. Andy. Like the name of an Andy Kaufman character from, you know, from, <laughs> anyway. Yeah. It's a very strange, constricted, um, constrained accent. Go on. Dude. Also, uh, the benefits of membership. We've introduced No Dumb Questions, which is our new webcast exclusively for Ricochet members, where you get to ask questions of very, very well-known uh, commentators and people and th uh, thinkers. We had one scheduled uh, for this week with uh, Ayan Hirsi Ali. Uh, she had to uh, postpone it, so it's sometime next week. Uh, we'll let you know when that's, that's happening, happening soon. Um, this is a chance for people just to kind of chat for an hour, hour and a half on a much more casual way. That is, again, it's like you're in a clubhouse, and in, a, and in one of the rooms, there's a guy sitting there, and you've always wanted to have a conversation with him, and now you can't. Um, this is a site where the comment section, I mean, I, I, we actually spent a long time, Peter, talking about what comment, why we should not call it a comment section, because it's really not. I mean, it's where you have a conversation, the conversation, conversation section. Um, it cannot be beat here. Our community is obviously um, politically aware and smart and articulate. The debates can get uh, heated sometimes, maybe a little too heated, and we sort of step in and you know, bring it back to the corner, takes a deep breath. That's also part of being in a club. Um but the debate here is authentic and civil, and the people um, debating, agreeing with you, or suggesting something, or sharing something are real people, and they understand the rules of a club. We talk politics, of course, but not exclusively. Pop culture, literature, music, family, local news. We have um, <laughs> we had a bureaucratic horror stories from SoCal Nurse. I mean, the youthful adventures of Wanderer at Yale, who uh, is not me, was not me. Intricate wonkery from King Rufus, and even the latest progressive cringe from Smarty Trousers Jr. These are actually really funny. Uh, most of them are really funny, so it's kind of a joy to read. Um, but if there's something missing from Ricochet, it is you. Um, what do you know? What do you think? What have been your life experiences? We want to know. So please join Ricochet. Go to ricochet.com slash join to take part in the best the internet has to offer. Become a member of the club along with us. That's ricochet.com slash join. You know, I've done these. I've done them successfully. These sort of member, come, you know, pitches and I've done them unsuccessfully. Um, the ones when I'm most successful is what I say to you. Listen, you've been listening to this podcast. You've been thinking about it. We really do need you. And I really mean that. We really do need you. Not only just to keep the ship afloat, but also because we need your voice. Um, and, um, and we'd love to have you. So we thank our Ricochet members, new and old, 
for sponsoring this, the Ricochet Podcast. And um, if you've uh, let your membership lapse for whatever reason, we will be letting you know. Uh, and if you've been putting it off, um, today's the day. Please join. And I'll see you there. I mean, I spend a lot of time in the comment section in the conversations. Actually. You do. I, I love it. I hit it in the morning. And then it's in the evening after all my work is done. That's where I go to, to just dip in here and there and uh, argue or agree or just read the really fine voices that are there. And it's fun. And like every Saturday night, um, there's a, an old radio show posting around which some of us gather and admire the, the pictures of the radios that are posted and talk about culture from 50, 60 years ago. It's like 1% of Ricochet, but it's, it's that little niche thing that I go for. And I guarantee that you'll find something there yourself too. Yeah. So if, if I'm not just sitting here because we do the podcast and the rest of it, I am on Ricochet because I love it. And it feels like an internet home in ways that no other place does. There are sites that I love to read where I, you know, if I get, if I dip into the comments, I might, I might, I, 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 it's discus and it's madness and it's, you know, you know, it's, it's jerkus. It's, it's nastiness. The comments are so bad. They turn James Lilacs into Jackie Mason. That's right. That's, that's right. Yes, that's what they do. And there are places that I go for, you know, for news where I just have, you know, I'm looking at a little askance because I know where the slant and the bias is coming. Then I go, I go to the place that's the guilty pleasure where the guy's really ranting. And sometimes you like that, but it angers out the blood and it's no fun. It's always it, it just ricochet is just that place where you walk in and you don't even have to look where the hook by the door is to take off your hat and hang it because you know where it is. It's just it's just that familiar. And the chair, when you sink into it, has your has part. your contours and the glass with a clinking <laughs> cubes and the brown stuff has a familiar contour in your hand and you, you everybody looks for a place like that on the internet and facebook doesn't do it and twitter doesn't do it and nothing does except well maybe for lilacs.com but yeah ricochet that's the joint it's been for yeah, ever ever since i went first day i went there it moved from my weekly bookmarks to my hourly i suppose we should do super bowl picks i don't have a dog in this fight i'm just looking forward to it actually the last gasp looking forward to be disappointed by an endless series of commercials that think they're more clever than they actually are but um do you guys have super bowl picks i know peter robinson you're keenly watching this right i i actually do pay a little attention to football mm -hmm. but i only pay attention to three teams the 49ers green bay and seattle I really, I'm going to say the Bengals. I'll say the Bengals. The Bengals have a quarterback who's a star. Maybe he's the next Tom Brady. I don't know. The Bengals. Yeah. By a field goal. <laughs> wow. By a field goal. That's it? Yeah. I, well, I think it'll, it's got to be close, though, hasn't it? I don't know. I on, uh, To be perfect, as you can tell, I honestly haven't followed either of these teams. I don't know. Uh, you know, I guess I should, as a former... Los Angelino would be for the Rams, but I kind of like the idea of like an old football town. You know what I mean? Like Cincinnati. I don't know. I just have a, I just, when the Steelers are in, I root for the Steelers when the, I don't know, I, I'm going to root for Cincinnati, but for no, I, I would never, I, I don't, I would never presume to be able to sort of parse the, the odds and why this or that would work. But uh, to me, it feels like, it feels like this is the year the Cincinnati Bengals win. Well, the Bengals beat the Vikings in overtime by a field goal and that started out our season to be the disaster that it was. So I want them to go down in flames and pain. No, actually, I want the best team to win. I want the officiating to be good. I want the hits to be hard. I want to see great uh, explosive plays. I want to see good football because, man, in the playoffs, I saw the greatest football I think I've ever seen in my entire life. So there's that. And it's nice that people yes, are in the stadium again yes. and that there's not this pre-recorded... Um, 
noise and we're not seeing cardboard yeah. figures and oh, 1500 people scattered amongst but there is something this game will take place in LA. Yeah, I know. That's LA is still say, under the yeah. masking mandate. Are are these eighty thousand spectators really yeah. going to be expected to sit there during the Super Bowl wearing masks? If you they move, don't remove your mask to have a bite of your hot dog and your sip of your I, beer, and then how are they going to that? That actually that'll be interesting. That'll be interesting. We it is. Just, I, I think it actually isn't so great that they're having the Super Bowl in the town. Listen, where where one of the teams is from you know what i mean that doesn't right, seem right right doesn't seem fair should be the same territory fair. right yeah. yeah i'd like to thank a variety of people our guests of course we'd like to thank indochino we'd like to thank raycon we'd like to thank ricochet itself and we'd like to thank tory war writer who was one of the people who was insistent on us getting us uh, ezra as a gift as a guest see that's the kind of influence you can have as a as a ricochet member say the word and we 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 fulfill your wish uh, but no, we're not going to have Margaret Thatcher on with a seance or anything like that. Be reasonable. So support all of those people, including Tory, Tory Warwriter, and uh, for supporting us. Join today, as Rob said. He gave you all the good reasons you need to do so. All right, next week, we will face our Super Bowl picks, and we'll have more guests and more conversation, and you'll be here, and we'll all be fine, and it'll be great. And 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 happy Valentine's Day, guys. We didn't get around to that. Probably just as well. Yeah, that's right. I, here's what you can get me for Valentine's Day. The people who decided when I was talking, okay, you know what, I will join, who now have just have forgotten it because we ended up talking about something else that's flown out of your head, please join. Please join. We need you. And with that, we say that we'll see you at Ricochet 4.0 next week, guys. Next week. Next week, fellas. Join the conversation. Most of the time you meet on the street speak of true love. Most of the time they're sitting and crying at home. One of these days they know they gotta get going. Out of the door and down the street all alone. Trucking like a doodah man. Once over me, got to play your hand. Sometimes the cards ain't worth the thing.
Yeah. 